In the spring of 2021, Mickey Weems was diagnosed with stage 4 prostate cancer and was given 6 to 12 months to live. This episode was recorded in May of 2022. My name is Donna Blanchard. While we recognize that Mickey is dying, we'd like to welcome you to another day of his life. Hello, Mickey. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. How how do you feel right now, physically? Um, a little weary, and I plan on making that worse. I'm going to take, probably in about three hours, I'm going to take a half of Ambien and sleep for like four hours, maybe five, to get to prepare myself to go dancing tonight. <laughs> you don't get an Ambien hangover? If I take a full one, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, well, I'm, I, I tried that once. Uh, a friend recommended it, so I asked my doctor, and my doctor said, sure, okay. And I was, uh, it, I'm not good with, it's a narcotic, right? right. A narcotic, but yeah, I, I'm not good with those. But that's cool that that works for you and that you're going to go, I mean, it's a Friday night, go out dancing. Yeah. How late will you stay out? Um, depends. Probably get home around six. Everybody should do cancer like you do cancer. <laughs> <laughs> we, on, honestly, though, I mean, when I when I go dancing, there's no there's very little pain. All of that goes away for a short time. Yeah. So part of it's the crowd, part of it's other things, and part of it is the music. So, um, yeah, it is such a relief. It this it really does help me for the rest of the week. Even though I pay for it, to, I'll pay for it tomorrow. I'll sleep in. I'll be flat on my back for like hours. How, so what, what will tomorrow look like? Lots of sleep. Yeah. Just kind of lazing around the house. Netflix. Mm-hmm. Not even that. No, not even the attention no. span to do that. What uh, do you watch stuff on? I guess we don't call it watching television anymore. But what do we what do we do? You watch streaming services or sometimes my, my niece got me into watching Demon Slayer. Um, let's see what else uh, so far as movies Train to Busan has been one that I was just reminded of um, Kingdom the Korean uh, drama about zombies in medieval uh, Korea Oh, is a lot of fun um, what else um, watched uh, Bridgerton the first uh-huh. year uh, hmm you know the second season's out I know and I've I've not seen it though uh-huh. um yeah, everyone's small, but it's only if somebody else is there watching it with me. Otherwise, I will come back and just like sleep. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Well, it sounds like was your take. I mean, it sounds like kind of uh, escapist. Ta- you're yeah. not watching documentaries. That's uh, was it. Was it was that your taste before the cancer? Well, um, <laughs> the documentary part, the cancer. Yes, the cancer. The documentary part is what I do online sometimes. Like something interesting will come up, so I'll look mm. at the I'll look, look what it says on YouTube. Um, that's not that's when I can do scientific or social research, right? Um, yeah. So, um, of course, I'm vitally interested in politics these days because it's so fascinating watching oh, what's happening. Gosh. Um, and that that's one thing about being terminal 
is I'm kind of slightly removed from it because I will not have to bear the consequences of whatever happens, mm. um, which distresses me in some ways and in other ways, it makes it a lot easier Yeah, because it looks like we are in for quite a ride. Yes. Yes, it does. It's pretty terrifying. And don't even look at the stock market. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't even look right now. I, um, Oh, and don't look at the Madison Cawthorn video, please. Oh, okay. Oh God. Have you not heard about this? No. What is Um, this? Supposedly, supposedly he's humping his cousin. Oh my God. His male cousin. Who needs to see that? His male cousin. And he has a hairy ass. Oh, it's not pretty. <laughs> okay, now I know you're going to go watch it. I know you're going to you're say, okay. And then you'll say, my eyes, my uh, eyes. Mickey, yeah. why did you peek my entrance like that? Yeah. Uh, here's something I'd like to talk about that um, you've talked a lot about music, and I know it's an important part of your life. Uh, and you have, you know, so... Um, I have a playlist that I started years ago and I just keep every time I hear or remember a song that I like, I add it to my playlist. And I've told my Mm -hmm. friends that needs to be played at my memorial service. And I said it kind of joking, but nobody really laughs when you say something like that. Let's talk (laughs) about your playlist. Um, Right now it's probably around 48 hours uh, long. Um, It's, as you, as you mentioned before, it's pretty comprehensive. It goes back to the Supremes when I first started listening to music. Um, Comes right up to D'Angelo, who I discovered pretty late in the game. I discovered his music after he had quit being you know, the artist that he was. Um, and all the way up to um, my current crush, Orville Peck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who's coming to Hawaii soon. Yes. We're going to have to talk to him. And of course, um, it includes Brazilian from my time in Brazil. It mm. includes Arabic music as well. Uh, gypsy, excuse me, Roma music. Let me use proper terms here. Um, Latin music. Um, across the board, ad- diff- different West African sounds. Um, sounds from South Africa DJs because they they were really they they are really big in the house music scene. I don't know if you ever heard of Black Coffee. No, no, not musically. He is a world famous DJ that I met when I was over in Miami um, doing doing um, journalism on specifically that on house music. Um, he's awesome, very, very, very tall, tall as a tree, and gentle. Awesome. He's very much a gentleman. You're talking about travel. Uh, you said time you spent in Brazil. Was this in the military or is this privately? When one summer at Myrtle Beach, when you lifeguard, you can lifeguard at a stand where you can make a lot of money renting out umbrellas and chairs. One summer I was at one such stand where I made a lot of money. So I decided what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to go to Brazil to do research on African religion. They're called condomble. I knew that, but before I limited myself to Brazil, I wanted to see the world. So I bought a ticket, I think it was through United, that uh, went around the world. And I, so I did that, it took about 10 months. Oh, wow. So that exposed me to all kinds of music. 
that's what got me to climb that pyramid. That's what, um, what else did I do? <laughs> um, that's when I got Giardia, that horrible disease when I was in Nepal. Um, that, yeah, it was, it was, it was a fantastic adventure. I was able to see my, my favorite city in Europe is Paris because I have after you see Paris. And what do they say? Once you've seen Paris, you can't go home. Yeah. There's a lot of truth to that. Paris is fabulous. Um, went to Wexford, which I did not even know. Wexford in Ireland was the place where my ancestors came from. And I didn't realize at the time, that's the first place I landed when I was in Ireland. So wow. coincidence upon coincidence. Uh, that's when I met all those really fabulous Muslims that helped me get the idea of Islam as a good religion that I spoke about that one time. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good adventure. Um, I, also, I went to Israel where I was studying Orthodox Judaism with Rabbi Noah Weinberg of Blessed Memory. Uh, all of these things presented themselves, and I took advantage of the, of, of the opportunity to do them. How old were you? 30s. 32, maybe 33. Oh, yeah. And you traveled alone. Yes. I can't believe you've never mentioned this before. This sounds incredible and so life-changing for you. From renting umbrellas and chairs at a lifeguard stand for how long did you work to have yeah, this? It's seasonal, so it was a summer. Good Lord. Everyone should do that. <laughs> that that's amazing. I... I, I um, is that traveling around the world doing that trip? Is that something you had always wanted? How did it come about? Because that's a pretty big undertaking. Uh, there was another friend of mine who went, to, we called him Ricky Rainbow. He lived with us in uh, Anui Nui, the dormitory that's right off campus, right by the Nukahanamoku uh, water place, um, dive pool and stuff. Um, he had done it. And I talked to him, what do I need to do? And he said, you have to get these kinds of shots, right? You have to prepare yourself. Um, oh, oh, another experience that I had when I was in Kenya, I came down with malaria. Oh my, you just experienced it all, didn't you? Sure did. <laughs> wow. And when I told the man, I was staying with a man who was the father of one of the uh, security guards at a hostel I was staying in, in, um, in Nairobi. And so this man is like a patriarch of the community, he had a really nice house. Um, staying with him and I, I told him the symptoms of what was happening to me because I, I was being shown around to the, the extended kinfolk network that the security guard had and that this man had as I'm going to see these people I'm starting to feel really off then I start yawning while in the middle of conversations and after I start yawning I would I ran outside and vomited and then I came back and said I'm not feeling really good I said I really want to go home they said we just got to visit one more family I said oh. okay then it happened again. And I said, okay, this is it. I've got to go lay down. So they took me back to, to the elderly man's house. Gentleman, he's awesome. And I told him the symptoms and he started laughing. He said, oh, you got malaria. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, sometimes it'll go in your brain and kill you. I said, oh, you're great. And then he said, um, but I have a cure. I said, I have a concoction. And he went out into his yard and he got this green vine that grew on the ground. And he boiled it and it made a green um, liquid. I drank the liquid. It's very bitter, kind of like, kind of like the way quinine, yeah, quinine tastes. Have you ever had quinine before? Mm -hmm. uh, I drank it. Um, within a few hours, I was feeling better. By the next day, it was gone. 
Do you know what it was? Did you ever find out? I brought some back with me to the States, but I don't have it now. And I've seen it grow. It, it, grow, it grows around here. Um, it grows all over the place in the continent. It's a, it's a low and the, the leaves are variegated. They're darker in the middle than on the outside. And they have little blue flowers. Wow. Uh, There's another time you potentially cheated death. True. Um, I mean, I, th- I have long known that travel is so good for the soul. And I'm just thinking that that trip has helped to contribute to the person you are here today, not only gracefully moving toward your transition, but candidly discussing all of this with us to impart that piece to us. Now I want one of those trips, but okay. It's not about me. <laughs> Let me move on to my next question. Donna, for you. It is about you. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I, I, so let me get my timeline straight. When were you in the Marines? Okay. I was in the Marines. My first year lifeguarding was 1982. That winter, it was hard to find work. So I joined the Marine Corps, went through boot camp. Um, Graduated as the honor man, the number one recruit for my platoon. Got my dress blues paid for. Um, <laughs> then, uh, but, but I went in as the reservist because that was the only billet, uh, MOS that they had open for me was supply and as a, as a reservist. And with, with the thought that I would go OCS, Officer's Can- Officer Candidate School. But I was torn because in the Marine Corps, of course, you're taught how to kill. And you're taught, you're taught they teach you well. So I knew how to kill. I, I, I could hit a target from 500 yards away. It's kind of amazing superpower that they give you in the Marine Corps. Um, then I went, because I was reservist, I could get a job. I went and I worked on the beach as a lifeguard. So here's this dichotomy, right? This um, cognitive dissonance. I've been taught to kill, but now I'm saving lives. Mm. And it got too much. And I thought, okay, I would rather save lives than take them. So... I thought, I'm just going to stay in the reserves. I'm not going to go OCS. But, and I want to go to University of Hawaii. So moved to Hawaii, started exploring, going to UH. Well, went to the Marine Corps unit over on Kaneohe by the crater and talked with, the, with my officer. And he said, you're, you're going to be living on Maui. So you don't have to go to meetings if you don't want to. But if you do, we got really fun stuff for you to do. We jump out of airplanes. You can go, you know, scuba diving, things like that. And like I was stupid. I said, oh, I'd, I'd rather not go to meetings because then I couldn't grow out a fabulous mullet. <laughs> hey, it was in style. So we're still okay. in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, we're very much in the 80s. My mullet was fabulous. Uh, so um, unlike the short white hair that I have now. Um, but yeah, so, um, so on the basis of that, um, I didn't go and now I wish I had, cause think of what, you know, what I could have learned. I mean, all of all the cool things Cause they're, they're, they're I think are, are, are a recon unit, if I recall, or they were at least then. So they had all these things available for anybody, reservists, anybody, any Marine that so far as I understood wanted it. Mm. I mean, the, the guy I'm talking to him and he's got his wings, para- parachute wings, like my father had. I thought I could have these two. Ugh. Missed opportunity. Well, well, you made up for it, Mickey. Mm. 
<laughs> you, you really did. Okay. So you, and did uh, the military pay for university of Hawaii then? No. Did, uh, when you go IR, when you go IS in, in the uh, what's it? Um, IRR, um, ready reserve. And I forget what the I stands for. And anybody military knows what I'm talking about. If you go IRR, then basically they don't pay anything. You don't have to go. And so I served out my time honorably. If they needed me, I'd have gone, of course. You know, if they called me, then, then yeah, of course I would have gone. Uh, so learning to kill, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you did, was that, uh, I don't know, I just feel like that would cause a shift in a person to go through that. To, am I imagining things? It, it, it does. It, oh, individual ready reserve. There we go. Sorry, oh, okay. I, I was individual ready reserve. Does it cause a shift? Yes. I mean, because um, th- there's a certain amount of pride you have in this corporate identity that you have because you learn to march, which means your feet hit the ground exactly the same time as 60 other men. And it sounds awesome. And it feels awesome. You become part of this larger human identity that I, I call this in, in the book I wrote, I call it um, sociosomatic, that you become part of a larger body mind, oh. a corporate body mind, and it is incredibly satisfying. You know, a se- sense of tribe, right? Sense of belonging. I, you know, I think that I've experienced that uh, in, in the marching band yeah, in high school, would. but also singing in a chorus. Mm-hmm. When, when you hit it and there's 60 of you ringing together. Yeah. Interesting. And you know, when you hit it. Yeah, you do. And it, and it lasts, there's endorphins that in, endorphins or dopamine or one of those good feeling drugs that's released when that happens. Uh, any negative, anything coming out of military experience? <sighs> The, uh, I remember talking at, as, uh, when we were still recruits, when we had not graduated yet, there were, this one Marine came and spoke with us. And he was like 35, but he looked like he was 50. And I, I looked at him and I realized, okay, the, um, the military can age you. And this man was obviously aged. And so that, I kind of paid attention to that. I thought, okay, is that also, you know, is this part of the deal? And that did not make it any easier. Um, so far as life and death, um, life and death or life and death. Um, if there's a battle and I have sworn to defend my nation, I will do it. I will not question my commanders unless they order me to do something illegal. Um, that's not my place within, within a well-regulated and, and properly functioning military. And I know that, you know, my father was military. I was raised in the military. So I had, I, there were no blinders. I knew exactly what I was getting into. And you didn't see any sort of combat. No, right? uh, the, I am not a big fan of Ronald Reagan. Yeah, I was just trying to remember 1982. What was going on in the world mm-hmm. then? And I know it was very difficult to get a student loan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I was going to college in 80, 83. Um, so but, okay, but saying that, uh, my my uh, lack of um, appreciation of Ronald Reagan does not stop me from appreciating the fact that he made sure 
not to have American troops fighting wars. Mm-hmm. Under, under his watch, the worst thing that happened, it happened to us as Marines, uh, one of our buildings was attacked and we lost, uh, I think, 50 Marines. And it, it, it hit everybody because I, I, I was doing my MOS training um, in Camp Lejeune at the time. And wow, everybody felt it. You can't do something to Marines without every Marine feeling it. Um, yeah, so I, I think Ronald Reagan for keeping us out of war. Gotcha. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you on that no, fine. Tr- train of thought. Glad you, because it is all about me, you know, Mickey. <laughs> you go, Donna. Uh, um, so um, you have mentioned uh, before that you had concerns. I'm changing the subject wildly here, but it's, the topic's still you. Um, you mentioned before that you felt like you weren't good enough when you were growing up. Um, did going into the military help with that? Tremendously. Yeah. Because I really thrived in boot camp. I, I didn't just survive it. I thrived. Mm. It, I really clicked to it. Um, and my senior, the drill, the drill instructors appreciated it. They knew they could depend upon me. They knew that I would keep the other guys in line. And because I was a little bit older by maybe two years than the other guys, they, and also I had a college degree um, at that time, a bachelor's um, that they kind of looked up to me and I did my best to make sure everybody, um, everybody made it. Mm. Uh, so the school came, the bachelor's degree came before then. Yes. Yeah, bachelor's degree is from Berea oh, College in Kentucky. Sorry. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I gotcha. I'm sorry that uh, you ever didn't feel like you were good enough, but also um, I'm glad you're telling your story because a lot of people have felt that. And perhaps some people listening are feeling that right now. Uh, And that now I understand more how profoundly you felt that step in unison Mm -hmm. uh, and the strength behind that. I, um, uh, oh gosh, look at the time. We, we need to wrap up. I can't believe how quickly these conversations are going, (laughs) Mickey. I just, uh, I just, you are a fascinating person, period. And everything that you're going through. I mean, I, I wonder if you sometimes just get lost in your thoughts thinking, wow, I did all of this. There's a whole lot of us inside this head. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're letting some of them come out to play for a little while with us. Um, uh, anything you'd like to add before we sign off today? Um, I'd like to thank you and Susan and James. Oh, I thank you and Susan and James, too. Thank you, Mickey. We'll talk to you again soon. Aloha. Aloha. I'm Donna Blanchard. James Charisma is our producer. Susan Wright is our content advisor, PR agent, and support team member. Music generously donated by Kainani Kahaunaele from her Hoku Award-winning album, Waipunale. We're all here to support our friend Mickey and help him help all of us to learn about living while dying.